Now, we are a church that puts the kingdom above our own little church. That's the purpose of this church, that we seek first the kingdom of God. That's why we put the at the end of it, because we are a church that focuses on other churches as well as our own. And that blesses us. So we're thankful that you're here. If you're new, we love having new people. It's always great to have new people because they come in and they challenge us to be on our best missional aspects or attitudes in life. And our mission is to love the world one person at a time. Now, I get an opportunity to hang out with pastors once or twice a a week. And they always ask, why is the church so successful? And people don't want to hear the business part of church. But I said, it's our mission statement. We have a powerful mission statement. The mission is to go out and love. And my friend Richard, who told me many years ago that my love needs to be at home first. And when I can properly and and, and effectively start to love my family correctly, then I can move outside and and, and move into the world. And sometimes I'm really good at loving my family and sometimes I pour back in and, and, and put all my effort on loving my family. But when we love the world one person at a time, the world becomes a better place and we become on mission. And then God is happy and says, praise God for what you're doing. Let me bring people to, uh, to be a part of this community. And that's what he does here. And we've, we've seen it happen week in and week out. And we're always blown away that there's people here, which is exciting. It's it, week in and week out. Uh, uh, at the Boys and Girls Club, before we kind of moved over here and grew out of that place, we used to pray upstairs that somebody would show up. Today, we pray that um, uh, a few of you show up and my wife would show up because sometimes I, I'm hard on her. So hopefully she'll show up today and be happy. So uh, I'm saying that as she's right here, making sure that she's smiling at me. I want to talk to the women for a second. Guys, you can pay attention because you're probably sitting next to one or have one in your life or have had one. And women, you are so critical to the church. As the women were gone into the uh, up camp, uh, uh, getting Jesus poured out on them, there, there was something just a little bit off that Sunday. Just The, the worship was great. The, the message was good. There was a lot of good stuff. But the heartbeat of the church was kind of gone. And you women... All women, not just the ones that went to camp, are the lifeblood of this church. You are what makes this work. The men are the backbone or the structure, but the women are the things that flow through that. Now, anybody filled up and got their their, uh, head full of, 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 of lofty ideas? I also want to tell you that women, you can also destroy a church as well. Through gossip and through uh, wayward ideas and ideology... In Proverbs 5 and 6, it also talks about be careful of that immoral woman. So, women, you can be the most powerful thing, and we have a powerhouse of women in this church. Do you believe that? But the warning comes in Proverbs. It says, be careful, women, so that you don't get too puffed up. And also say, you know, we're not supposed to say everything that comes into our head. I know I say a lot of stuff up here that I shouldn't say. And I'm learning. Randy was praying for me. Let it all be good words today, brother. So women, I just want to give you that kudos. And maybe as we continue this four-week series of Wonder Women in the Bible, we will expand a little bit. Because I think that we might have it wrong a little bit on how we treat women and how, we, how they are to be in the church. And I was doing a little bit of study and me and Jeremy were dialoguing and just talking a little bit about this. So I, I want to bless the women as we go through this series, but I also want to put a forewarning. Don't be gossipers and don't be uh, uh, given malice behavior that, 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 that can destroy a church. Because we want this church to grow so that the kingdom of God is benefited. Amen? Amen. 
Today I'm going to talk about the book of Ruth, and I'm going to really just share about the characteristic of this lady, Ruth. And every time I think of Ruth, I think of Ruthie, and that's my grandma. And so I'm going to throw up here, she's passed several years ago. Um, uh, the uh, picture on the left is my grandma in 1927 with her husband, and this is about 20 years ago at my sister's wedding. Now, if you know my mom, doesn't the one look like her? If you guys have seen, that looks like my mom. My girl's grandma, and uh, it's just amazing to see. And little Ruthie was this amazing woman, and she really warms my heart. I, um, she was just an amazing woman on how she lived her life. And, and that's why she reminds me about Ruth, because Ruth is an amazing woman as well. Now, I'm going to say something about Ruth that might be a little bit controversial. Maybe you won't agree with it. Maybe you will. But I'm saying here today in front of all of my friends and family that Ruth might be one of the greatest, if not the greatest woman in the Bible. Now, a lot of people think about other women like Mary or Mary Magdalene or Esther. There's all kinds. Deborah was a judge. But Ruth might be the most important woman in the Bible. Let me give you some ideas and attitudes on why. Abraham might be one of the greatest men in the Bible. And we think of Apostle Paul and Moses and David. But Abraham was the foundation of of the church going forward. And without him, we would be lacking that fatherly figure that we have through Abraham. Likewise, Ruth is the same. She's one of the first women that really have a foundation of of, of grace and mercy go through her. And she is one that is an amazing woman that we should all understand. She is a beautiful woman. As you can see in this picture, there's many paintings of her. and, and, And it's a great way to honor her today. So my opinion, arguably one of the greatest women in the Bible. Our memory verse says this, and this comes from Jeremy. Jeremy did a message last week. Give Jeremy a hand. He did a great job on Mother's Day last week. If you didn't get a chance to hear the message, you can go online and listen to it. It was a spectacular message uh, uh, on Mother's Day. Here's what the memory verse says. Proverbs 31, 10. It says, who can find a virtuous woman? Her price is far above rubies. You know, one of the things that I think about when I think about this verse is I think about my wife and I think about me raising three girls to become virtuous women. And my wife is one of these virtuous women. And the truth is we have tens, uh, you know, multiple of of virtuous women in this place that are as valuable as rubies. Now, in the United States, we have this thing ringing in our head. and, and, And please complete the sentence. Diamond is a... I guess you guys haven't seen the ads. We have been told in the United States that diamond is a girl's best friend. But the truth is, if you look at the value of rubies and diamonds, rubies have a lot more value. And if you've looked at some of the megastars, Prince Henry put a ring on that thing, his wife, and it was like a 10-carat ruby. Some of the big stars today are using rubies because they're more valuable And they're more precious, and they have the color, and they're better than diamonds. But we as Americans think, well, diamonds is a girl's best friend, so I better get her a diamond. But people are coming to the reality that ruby is far above. And the reason why I'm putting some time into this, a virtuous woman, an amazing woman, can really radically change the way that you live your life and the people around you. And we as a church are trying to build in our virtuous women. They're having a tea next week, and they're going to be talking about how to becoming a better woman with God and within their family or their future family. A virtuous woman has great value. And today, 
no matter if you're a male or female, I think you'll get something out of this message about Mary, I mean Ruth, and uh, who she is in our life. So, the book of Ruth has four chapters. My challenge to you today is, if you haven't read it in a while, or if you've never read it, it's in the Old Testament. It's four chapters. You can read it in about 15 or 20 minutes. There's a bunch of nuggets in there. Today, I'm not going to go through much of the much of the scripture because I can't due to time constraints. But I am going to use chapter 2 to kind of use it as our backdrop. And I'm going to use a, a verse out of chapter 1, teach out of chapter 2, and use 3 and 4 to kind of illustrate who Ruth is. So if you want to get a better understanding of this book, go and read it. I promise you, you'll really enjoy it. It's in the history section of the Bible. It's right after Judges. And so I challenge you. My sister-in-law always loves to do homework. So there's your homework, Yvette. I know one will do it, so you know, hopefully you'll join with her. So here's the story. In chapter 1, we have a, woman, a man named Amalek, and he basically uh, has to move his family from Bethlehem into Moab because there's a severe famine. It's the time during the judges. There's no king in Israel. And here's his journey. He's going from Bethlehem, and that, that little water aspect is the Dead Sea. And so he has to travel around the Dead Sea. Now, here's a picture that we took in Israel. A group of us, we were in Israel. And this is at a place called Masada. It's an archaeological dig. Great story. Uh, And we're looking down upon it. If you look at that mountain range, that is Jordan, the country Jordan. And on the other side of that is the actual where Moab would be. And that's where the story goes. So they go around the Dead Sea and into Moab on the other side of this mountain range. Moab and Moabites are a mountainous region. Now, here's what happens. Amalek takes his wife and his two boys. He has two sons, uh, Mahalon and Kilion. And as he gets there and settles his family, very soon into his journey in Moab, he dies. His two sons get married to Moabite women. And within 10 years, they die as well. I think one dies of sickness and the other is killed. But within 10 years... Naomi has gone into this new place and her husband has passed and now her two sons. The only people that she has around her are the two women that her sons married, Orpah and Ruth, the title of our book in the Bible. Now, to kind of further the story, and I'll get back to this in a few minutes, at some point Naomi decides to move back. And Ruth comes with her, and I'm not trying to give you this, you know, this teaser that you'll find out. She does come back, and Ruth comes with her. And now I want to pick it up in, in verse in chapter two, verse two. So if you're able to stand, let's read and uh, just see what God does through this amazing woman, Ruth. Chapter two, verse two says, "One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi." Let me go out into the harvest fields and pick up the stalks of grain left behind anyone who is kind enough to let me do that. Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather the grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Amalek. I'm going to stop right there and use that as the beginning. And you know what we do here at this church is we ask for you to pray as I pray. Francis Chan used to say in his church, don't let me be the only one filled with the Spirit. Invite the Spirit into your life so that you can hear something from God and that we can all grow. Amen? So let's invite the Spirit of God to come in and I'll pray and let's all ask God to speak to us. Father in heaven, 
We give you thanks and praise. I know that there's hundreds of people here that want to hear something from you. Grow in us a, a blessing from this beautiful woman, Ruth, that we can understand our labor for you, our loyalty to you, Lord, and the ultimate love you bring as our kinsman redeemer. Father, use us today so that we can understand more about you. We say these things in the name above all names and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Now what I want to I want to offer you, you can take it or not. I want to offer you three things. I always kind of think in threes in my head and so as I'm asking questions about what this book can mean and what Ruth can give us as a congregation, I, I, there's three things that I think that we can get from this story of Ruth and on a message today about Ruth being one of the great women of the Bible. Number one is she's a laborer. She's, she's, she's great at labor. Number two, she's loyal. And number three, she requires love and she has great love for both Naomi and ultimately the God of, 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 of Israel. So those are the three things that we're going to use today for the message so that you can walk out of here with going, yeah, there were three things to talk about and here's what Ruth was. Now, what I want to do is I also want to give you the big idea or the main thesis or the main point of the message so that you understand it from the beginning and hopefully as I speak, it'll kind of fill in the gaps for you. And here's what it says. Here's kind of the big idea, the main point of the message. If we obey God's will, everything holds together. And if we kind of wander away or disobey God's will, our life just falls apart. And let me expand on that just a little bit. When you put God in the middle of your life and, and, and trouble has occurred, right? Things are falling apart. If you just hold on to the will of God, He is the glue, He is the fabric, He's the thing that holds all things together, and you have an opportunity to get beyond this. A loved one passing, a divorce, a, a loss of a house, Children being disobedient. If you can just hold on to the will of God, over time, he prevails. But if you kind of walk away, it just naturally falls apart because you're not really putting the fabric and the glue of your life through the will of God to hold it together. Does that make sense? And Ill, the reason why I say that statement is because Ruth is a great illustration of that. And it's because of her mother-in-law, Naomi, who's holding on to the will of God and, and the law of God and what he brings, that the will of God prevails. And let me give you an example in my own life. As I went through a bunch of trials 14 or 15 years ago, I was, re I was given a Bible, I went to church, and I held on to the will of God, and, and I did whatever he wanted me to do. I served at the church, and I became the janitor at the church, and I became a pastor then, and over time, I became one of the leaders of this church with my buddy Jeremy and Foss and, and Madison and all these people, and that's what happens when we hold on to the will of God. And I'm praying that you will hold on and get through this and allow God to work and raise you up the way he wants to do. So Ruth, back to the story, our beautiful Ruth here. Uh, she goes out and says, hey, I should probably go to work. It sounds like Naomi and our, and our story, it says in Ruth that she has a piece of property from her husband. They're back into the region. And she's like, we're kind of hungry. And she goes, I should probably go out and, eat and, and do something to work. Well, the question is, why does Ruth go to work? Why doesn't she just have provision, if they have property, that can't they just get a, a, a refi and grab some money out of the property and just kind of wait until she can get her, her career back on path? 
No, that's not how the system worked back in Israel. You had to go back to the Levitical laws to see what she was doing. And this was their welfare system or this was their social system on how to take care of people, both foreign and poor. So here's what it says in the Levitical law. Leviticus 19 verses 9 and 10. Uh, This is a beautiful uh, statement. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. That means gather every little bit on the ground says, don't go down and grab it. And then it says in verse 10, don't go over your vineyard a second time and pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. And then it's stomped, stamped, not stomped, stamped, I am the Lord your God. This is a law that he gave. And if you look at Leviticus 19, there's all kinds of laws there. And he's giving this, and this is how the society was to take care of itself. Before 1938, That's what happened in this country. The churches and the people in our communities would take care of our own. And there was communities that were that people would give to that would help people as they were going through a tough season. And in this day and age, the Israelites took care of their own. So Ruth goes out and I'm sure Naomi, a faithful woman, said this is what we need to do. And so Ruth says, I'm going to go out and do the labor, whatever it takes for me to make sure that me and my mother-in-law stay alive. So Ruth goes out into the field and and she happens to go to this field by uh, into the field owned by Boaz. Now, there's three major people in in this book, Naomi, Boaz and Ruth. Boaz and Ruth are the main characters. So Ruth goes in into this field that's owned by uh, a relative of Naomi's husband and his name is Boaz. Now, what happens here is as she is working and there's a break time the owner of the field, Boaz, comes up. And the first thing he says is just pretty, pretty cool. He says, the Lord be with you. As all the workers in the field are there, he comes up and he says, the Lord be with you. Now, I'd look for a show of hands. Who this week had their boss come up and say, the Lord be with you as you are taking a break today? Look around all the hands that have gone up. We're a great Christian nation, right? When we look at Boaz here and say, the Lord be with you, the first thing that we find as he comes into the scene is he's a godly man. And the response to the workers were, bless you and the Lord be with you. So there's this pretty cool dialogue about this boss and his workers and how they're all working for the glory of God. And so what happens is, as Boaz comes into the scene and he's, and, and, and he's looking at his workers, he gets his eye and, and this woman catches his eye. Now Ruth... If you got, type in Google, I, I, if, don't do it necessarily just to see this, but there's some pretty risque pictures of Ruth in the, in, on Google. She's a beautiful woman. And so Boaz comes in and she's like, whoa, who, who's that? Who's that woman right there? And, and if you look on Google, I was a couple, I'm like, oh, I can't put that up. Jer- <laughs> Jeremy's not allowed to see those kind of pictures yet. So, but she's a beautiful woman. Boaz catches her. Uh, she catches Boaz's eye. And, and he goes to the foreman. Who's the lady over here? And he says, this is Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth. And then she goes. And then the foreman tells Boaz. And she's a great worker. She's a hard laborer. She works really hard. And that's an important thing. The first thing I want to talk about Ruth is her labor. And how hard she works to make this thing work in her life. To make all the trouble. She's lost a husband. 
She's moved into a different place and she's not from this area. And now she has to figure out how she's going to make her life better. Sometimes in life, we need to take a lesser role and allow God to move us up than try and reach the the highest level that we can right off the get-go. When I graduated Chico State, I thought I was probably the greatest worker in all of mankind. And so a couple of my jobs that I was looking at, and this is 1996... I'm, I'm going after like two hundred and fifty and three hundred thousand dollar VP of ABC Network kind of jobs, as a, right out of college. Needless to say, I didn't get any callbacks. I was shocked, by the way, that they didn't call me back. They wouldn't want someone. We need to sometimes take a lesser role and do whatever we can to get beyond where you're at today. And that's what Ruth does. She walks out and says, I will go to work and do whatever I can, mother-in-law, to make sure that we have provision for today and the next few days. She is something that does, uh, her labor is something that we should uh, uh, grab a hold of. So here's what happens. In, in chapter two, I'm skipping a little bit of verses to, 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 for time. Verse eight in chapter two says, Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us When you gather your grain, do not go to any other fields. Stay right behind the women working in my fields. See which part of the field they are harvesting and follow them. I warn the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. And so when Boaz comes over, he realizes who she is. He says, you know what? I want you to work with my workers. Stay right behind them and go to the same field. Don't just harvest the edges Like the Levitical law says, he's like, you just be like one of my workers. Follow right behind my crew and work as you're part of the crew. And he says, when you need a break, go get some of my water and be just like part of my team. So instantly, uh, Boaz has shown favor to Ruth and partly because she's beautiful and guys were kind of suckers for beauty, right? (laughs) My daughter goes, yeah. And so, but we're also... Look to a virtuous woman that works. And, and, and when I think of that, I think about my wife. I think about all the stuff that my wife does. She gets up early, gets the house ready, and I'm sleeping. And it, it, it sounds terrible. Probably is terrible. She's doing all the work and, and, and um, getting the girls ready and going to school. And then she calls me about 8.15. Are you awake yet? And, uh, and uh, she just does a lot of work. And then she comes home and continues to work and has to deal with all of us. And by 9 o'clock, she works, uh, she's ready to, to take a break. And, and that's unfair. But that's what a laborer does. She does whatever she can to make the family unit work. And, and just, I, I appreciate you, Liz, for all of that. Um, so thank you for that. And I'm not just saying that to, to applaud my wife, because I'm sure there's another 15 or 20 or 50 women that are just like that, and you all deserve applause as well. So Boaz basically says, you're part of my worker, and here's what Ruth's response is. Here's what she says in verse, uh, verse 10. It says, Ruth fell to his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I deserved? What have I done to deserve such kindness? I'm only a foreigner, she says. She's basically going, I'm just not really part of this society. I'm a foreign woman from Moabite. I'm a Moabite woman and I'm from Moab and this isn't really what's supposed to happen. But she realizes something has happened greatly in her life. And we need to look at it and say, because of her labor, something amazing happened. The second thing that we need to grab a hold of here is is, uh, something that Ruth is, is she's a loyal person. 
Ruth is very loyal. Not only is she a hard worker, but she's also very loyal. And we see this in the next verse when Boaz and her are having a conversation. Boaz, as she says, I'm just a foreigner, here's Boaz's response. He says, yes, I know. But I also know everything that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard of how, how you have left your father and mother and your own land to live among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. So as, as she's come back and she's fell to his feet and said, thank you. Thank you so much for noticing me and showing me favor and kindness and all of my hard work. He then says, I know who you are. The rumors about you are that you are a loyal woman. A loyal woman that has forsaken her own family and her own country and come under the, the, under the, uh, the laws and the love of, of God the Father from Israel. And we would call that in the Hebrew, Yahweh. And then he says, and then she, you know, Ruth comes back and says, I hope to continue to please you, sir. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly, even though I'm not one of your workers. As they're having this dialogue, you see that Ruth and her loyalty really speak strongly into our lives. If you want to be into a place better than you are, you need to be a one that labors, even takes a lesser role and allow God to move you up. And also you need to be very loyal. Like Ruth was. Now, I, I want to pause the story, and uh, at some point, Ruth will go back home to Naomi. But I want to jump to this point of loyalty and kind of tell you the story of Ruth's loyalty. And we have to go back to chapter one to really grab a hold of this idea of loyalty. Now, in chapter one, they have these two daughters, and they're on their way back with Ruth. Ruth says, I'm going uh, with, back with Naomi. And she says, I'm going back to my hometown. And as she's walking out and the two daughter-in-laws have made a decision to go with her, she kind of has this epiphany and she stops and she says, you know what, girls, you shouldn't come with me. There's no reason that you should come for me. You're still young. You still have an opportunity. You're probably beautiful. You, you should probably just stay and, and let your life kind of continue on. Don't come with me. I, you know, I, I, I don't think it would be good for you. And so one of the daughters... Orpa goes up and she kind of goes, yeah, it makes sense. Thank you for releasing me. And she's crying because she knows she, she probably should have stayed. But, you know, she also knows that uh, uh, going back to her family makes sense. So she goes back to her family. And that's the, the last we ever hear of, this, hear of this lady named Orpa. Doesn't mean she's a bad woman that she decided to go back home. It's just what happened. Now, Ruth, on the other hand, this loyal woman, Ruth, has something that kind of radically changes the way that we look at her. Because as she's coming here and, and Naomi's telling Ruth, you got to go back. If I have a kid right now, if I meet a man and we basically have a baby today, it's going to take years for that child to grow. And for you to have this man as your husband. Hopefully it's a boy, by the way. Right? And so, you know, she's kind of laying out the reasons on why she shouldn't, uh, she should go back. And here's what Ruth says. Ruth chapter 1 verse 16, she says, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Listen to that loyalty. How many of us would pick up and move to Iowa or Nebraska, if you're from there, no disrespect. 
you know, anything outside of like Barstow, we don't even talk about in California, right? That's another foreign country. But we don't pick up and leave and go to even a foreign country. And she says, you know what? My God and my people is no big deal. I'm going to take your God and your people and I'm going to move with you because she's a loyal person. And one of my favorite parts, it says, where you die, I will die. You will be buried. I will be buried. May the Lord deal, deal with me severely if we're ever separated. That's the kind of loyalty that we have with this woman. Ruth is an amazing woman that cares about uh, her mother-in-law so much that she's forsaking all others and all other things in her life. Loyalty is something that makes a virtuous woman and a virtuous man. Somebody that has integrity is a loyal person. Loyal to their job, loyal to their wife, loyal to their family, and ultimately loyal to God. And that's admirable. Today, uh, I was thinking about loyalty. I, I, I had a job in San Jose. I had multiple jobs. I lived there like seven years, and I had like six jobs in seven years because it was very, very accustomed in that society in San Jose to go from one startup to another and try and make more money. You know, I was thinking about my father-in-law. He worked the same place besides the IRS agent and a few small things. He worked in the same place for a long years. And, and, and there's many people that have done that here. That's just not part of society anymore. We're lucky to get 25 or 30 years in the same company. It's just not part of society. Loyalty has lost its way. But for us to be virtuous, we need to be work and do whatever we can and also uh, do the la- uh, be loyal. Now let's kind of jump back to the story. Ruth is out in the field. She's met Boaz. Boaz has caught her eye. Uh, and, and, or she, she's caught Boaz's eye. And, and everything's going well. Now at the end of the day, Ruth is in chapter 2. And she's gleaning and grabbing a hold of all of this. And she's thrust it. And she comes back home to Naomi. And she's got about 30 pounds worth of, 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 of grain and barley. And the mother-in-law is like, Holy cow, where did all this come from? Now, I don't know about you, but 30 pounds of flour, I said this in the first service, it didn't go over very well, makes a lot of tortillas. <laughs> oh, we got some Hispanic uh, folk here that at least like some tortillas, because I had to say in the first service, 30 pounds makes a lot of biscuits, and everybody kind of chuckled a little bit. Oh, I get the biscuit thing. Uh, I guess you guys don't get the biscuit thing. <laughs> well, at least you got the tortilla. That's my favorite anyway. She comes home and she's got 30 pounds and, 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 of, 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 of provision. When they went out, they were hoping to get a pound or two. Just something on the edges to make uh, some food for the next few days. She comes back and brings a harvest, a bounty. And she's like, Who, uh, whose field did you work with? Who gave you all this favor? What person opened up their heart to you and gave you all this? And, she, and, and, and Ruth goes, this man named Boaz did. And she goes, oh. He is honoring you and, 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 and the death of your husband. And he's honoring me and my family because he's our family or kinsman, redeemer. What a great man he is. And so Ruth comes home and, 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 and she realizes that this man has shown great favor. And he's actually part of the family. He actually is a redeemer that can be a part of the family. And he's part of this system that's to take care of people that are going through a tough season in life. So time goes on, they go through the harvest, and I don't know, I'm not really a farmer, but the harvest lasts more than a day. I know that, you know, we just go to the grocery store and go, yeah, the harvest is right now, right? I go out and get whatever I want to get, and hopefully my ATM works, and it does, and if it doesn't, uh, 
You, hopefully the person behind you has got enough money to cover what you got, you know. Happens occasionally. So the harvest is going on, and towards the end of the harvest, Naomi kind of has this feeling about this beautiful daughter, daughter-in-law, Ruth. This beautiful woman that has shown her all kinds of loyalty from the moment she left Moab, also to the way that she's worked. She says, I'm going to go out and work and provide for our family, the two of us. She realizes, Naomi does, that she can't live like this her whole life. This isn't what she's supposed to do. She's such a virtuous woman that we need to make sure that she gets someone in her life. And so in chapter 3 of Ruth, she says, One day, Ruth, she says, My daughter, it's time for you to find a permanent home. Let me help you find a permanent home. Let me give you someone that can provide for you and be a part of your life and give you the love that you need. And so she says, Boaz is one of our closest, uh, uh, our closest relatives. Tonight, as he's out working and threshing and, 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 and winnowing the barley, she goes, go and lay at his feet. But before you go, she says, take a shower. I don't know what that means. That means she probably stinks. She's probably been working her butt off. And then she says, take a shower, put on perfume and the best clothes. And then go and lay at his feet. And she says this, I'll do whatever you say. You know what? When we do whatever God says, we receive the same type of blessing that Ruth is about to receive. When we labor the way God wants us to labor, when we're loyal the way God wants us to be loyal, we receive the love that God has for us. Ruth does what he says and she goes and lays at his feet and as Boaz... um, in the middle of the night, he probably kicks her a little bit. And he's like, who's at my feet? And it's Ruth. And she goes, it's me, Ruth, your servant. Spread your corner of the cover over me and be my family redeemer. Now, I don't even want to get into the whole cover at night thing. That's a joke for some of you. I don't know if you guys wrestle with some of the covers, but I'm just going to leave it there. She says, spread your covers over and be my family redeemer. And Boaz is once again blown away by this woman. And here's what he says in in, uh, Ruth chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. It says, The Lord bless you, my daughter. You are showing me even more family loyalty than you have done before. For you have not gone after a young man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary for everyone in town to know that you are a virtuous woman. This proverb was written about Ruth. She is a virtuous woman that's worth far more than rubies. She is the reason that this, this, uh, this proverb is written. Because that's why she's one of the great women in the Bible. She's loyal. She's hardworking. And now, she's, uh, because of that, she is going to receive great love from her mother-in-law, from Boaz, and ultimately from God above. The last part of this message is about love. And I'm going to invite the band back up. And I want to just talk a little bit about love. Love is so important. The reason why it's the mission of our church is because it what dri- it's what drives us from the inside out. When all things are lost, when everything is hit rock bottom, the only thing that can generally pick us up is known that I'm loved by someone. Anybody. And generally... It's a family member, but not always. Sometimes it's not a family member's love that does it or haven't been loved. Then it's by a friend, but ultimately it's by God. 
At the end of this story, Boaz says, I want you to be a virtuous. I, I know that you're a virtuous woman. He says, go back and sneak away and I'll make sure that nobody knows that you are with me because I want to honor you. And the very next day, Boaz goes into town and he's looking for another family redeemer in the line of Emelech. Because there's actually someone that was closer to, to Ruth and Naomi than him. And as he's, dirt, as he's out looking for this man, he finds him and he grabs ten elders and he makes a deal with this man. And he says this, you are the kinsman or family redeemer of Elmelech and, and, and Naomi and their land. He goes, would you like to have this land? And the guy's like, heck yeah. He's not a dumb businessman. He's like, yeah, that's a great thing. I'll take it and put some investment in it and make it good. And Boaz was also a wise businessman. He says, great, you can have it and you can take care of Naomi, but you need to marry the Moabite uh, uh, widow, Ruth. And he's like, whoa, I don't know if I want another wife. He says, I don't know if I can have that. It'll affect my estate. And he's saying, I don't want to jeopardize anything that I've got going. I'm living well. He says, I can't do it. But you can since you're the next family redeemer. And so Boaz, because he's honorable and loyal and is a hard worker, he does the right thing, trying not to manipulate anything. He goes out and says, this is what's supposed to happen. And because he did the right thing, God brought him favor and he took off a sandal. In the old days, they make this tradition that if you had a shoe, I don't know how valuable you think shoes are today because some of us have many pairs of shoes. I actually have a lot of shoes, by the way. There was a joke in Israel about how many different pairs of shoes I was wearing while we were there. But back in the day, they would take off a shoe and it was something of value and that sandal was valuable. Anybody walk barefoot for more than an hour or two throughout Camarillo lately? Yeah, it's uncomfortable. So they took the shoe and the shoe symbolized a covenant that he was going to redeem Naomi and her property and he was also going to be the kinsman redeemer and redeem Ruth and be her new husband. Ruth chapter 4 verse 13 closes like this and it says, So Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. He slept with her and the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. She gave birth to a son. Then the woman of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has provided you a family redeemer, may this child be famous in Israel. Now Ruth came in a bitter old woman that was struggling, that had lost everything that was of value to her. Because back in those days, and I think it's still today, our family is the most valuable thing we have. And she had lost everything. And the only thing she brought back was one Moabite woman. But because of this woman's labor and loyalty and ultimate love, She's received so much because of this virtuous woman, Ruth. And the love, of the, 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 and, the love and, and the famousness of her child is going to have lineage right to Jesus Christ. And I want to close with this, just kind of talking a little bit about the family redeemer. Is the family redeemer has the same characteristics of Jesus Christ. When you press into Jesus and who he is, he has the ability to be your protection, your provision, and your ultimate savior. And it's not just a savior so you can get to heaven. Yes, he does that. But he also wants to save you and provide for you and protect you each and every day. He wants you to be loyal and do the work so that you can receive his love. And in that, you will receive an inheritance that will last forever on earth as it is in heaven. 
Jesus Christ is our family redeemer. He is our kinsman redeemer. And he brings us into his family, even if we feel like a foreigner. All of us are lost at one point. And when we put Jesus Christ in our heart, we are found. And the glory of God can prevail and we can receive love that we've never really understood. If we obey the will of God and his plan, we have an opportunity to hold everything together. This season that you're in might pass if you're struggling. But if you hold on to the will of God, it will pass with the glory of God and his hands all around it. Do you believe that today? This last part, I just want to look at the, uh, the, the genealogy. And if you're getting baptized today, I know there's a couple of people that are getting baptized. My buddy Jeremy's over here and he's going to hold you down. So if you want to come over and let's get ready to baptize, we'd love for you to do that. Anybody? But I want to close off with this child. The genealogy of chapter 4 in Ruth, something amazing happens. Boaz and Ruth become the genealogy. They have a son named Obed. Obed has a son named Jesse, and Jesse has a son named David. Now, if you look at Matthew chapter 5, you'll see that same genealogy where Boaz and Ruth are part of, of, of Jesse, uh, Obed and Jesse's life, and Jesse is the father of King David. And King David and his lineage is the father and the line that Jesus Christ comes from. When we are loyal and we are labor, laborous toward God, we can see his love come in and wrap around us. And we can be grafted in into God's glorious plan when you accept him and when you do the work and you're loyal to his plan. Do you believe that today? We have an opportunity for that. And today we're going to do some baptisms. And basically when we do baptisms, you see a group of people that are saying, hey, God is going to cover me. And God is going to bless me. And I'm going to put him first. And I'm forsaking any other God or any other religion. I'm going to claim Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And it's just the outward thing. And I want to use this verse to kind of kind of set up the baptism. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2. Paul is writing. It says, live a life filled with love. Following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice. He's a pleasing aroma to God. And today, as we baptize, we're going to see that same thing happen here, where people are going to come out and realize that God is first and foremost in their lives. So I'm going to hand it over to my brother in Christ, Jeremy Case. So today, we have the awesome privilege to baptize two faithful men of God. And today, there's nothing magical about baptism. It's not what saves you. It's actually a testimony of your faith that you have placed in Jesus Christ. And with these guys here today, what's going to happen is we're going to dunk them in the water. And they're dying to their sins. And then they're being raised new with Jesus. These guys have been following Jesus for a long time. But this is an outward display of their faith before their whole congregation, before everybody. And we're going to hold them accountable to their walk with Jesus from this day on. And also, we're going to support them from this moment on. Because after Jesus was baptized, he went out into the wilderness and was tempted in every single way possible. But he overcame. But I know a lot of people who have been baptized and they just go out into their own wilderness of hardship and trial. And without the support of a, a healthy church congregation, 
it's really, really tough. And so we as the church have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to walk with Glenn and Josh as they go forward today. So are you willing? As the church, I'm asking you, are you willing? So first, keep those hands together. We're going to warmly welcome up Glenn Sander. And check out this baptism attire right here. I love it. You got your phone out, everything, all your... He's wearing khakis today. Shoes? This is a good old Baptist baptism. You get them into your Sunday, go to meeting, and you get baptized right here. So, So Glenn... I think we're going to start auctioning stuff off here. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I have. Is there anything you want to share with us today? Just praise God, praise Jesus. Sounds good. No cannonballs right now. Oh, 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 oh. There we go. So come on down. Go all the way to the bottom step. A step there, step. yeah. Just sit down on the top step. So, Glenn, because of your confession of faith, on behalf of Christ's church and on the authority of his word, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All the way down. Just move back. Double back. Give it up for him. And now we have Josh Barons, also known as Josh McKinney, who's also going to be baptized this morning. Now, I've known Josh for a long time, and he's definitely wearing his Captain America shirt. And it's been a long journey, and here we are. So, Josh, I know the answer to this question, but I want to hear it straight from you. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Is there anything you want to share with us today? Uh, Sure. Hi, everybody. I'm Josh. Um, I've been a believer of God for my whole life, my entire life since I was a little kid. And I always used the baptism in a way to, I don't really know how to say it, but I just didn't feel like I was worthy of the baptism throughout my life. And that 
no matter how many spiritual things I did, no matter where I went in my life, that I was never good enough to be in this pool of water. So I decided that uh, God directs us as a commandment to do this and that I got to quit being with my own will and let it be his will. So that's what I'm doing. The beauty of this all is that you aren't worthy and none of us are worthy, but it's on behalf of the grace of Jesus Christ that we get to do this today. So on behalf of the, uh, Christ's church, on the authority of, his God's, of God's word and the confession of your faith, Josh, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To hold the mandra a little longer. No, no, I'm just joking. Anybody else go? We've done it a ton of times where people have just come. We did it once where about 16 people got up one day, and it's okay if you want to if you feel the call, but if not today, come and see myself or Jeremy. The first step in that is accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Jesus came to save the world and save me and you of an eternal life of death. And when we press into our relationship and we put him first and foremost, we have an opportunity to have a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if that's you today or you need to reboot your life because you walked away and you're not following his will, today is the day to come back in the name of Jesus Christ and put foremost. If you're here today and you'd want that, will you just all bow your heads? Today's a day as we sang that salvation is here. Salvation is present and available for all. It's a free gift. And if you're here today and would like to receive that free gift, just repeat after me. Father, forgive me. Come to my heart. Come into my soul and be my Lord and Savior. I believe that you died And that you rose again so that I myself may have eternal life. Anoint me with your Holy Spirit right now. Fill me up, Lord, so that I can walk in all the ways of your life. Be ever present in me, Lord. In Jesus' name.